Welcome to Mission in 5, the podcast, where we ask five simple questions to pastors, ministry leaders, church members, and anyone else we can convince into coming on this podcast to learn more about who they are as people and where they see God moving in their community. This is episode six, and I am your host, Greg Mamula. Today we're speaking with Dr. Jolene Erlocker, author, national speaker, professor, and consultant of leadership training. Her first book, Millennials in Ministry, published by Judson Press in 2014, is the result of years of research and experience. Her book, Teaching Career and Consulting, focuses on generational traits, values, and needs of millennials while lifting up the importance of intergenerational ministry models in the local church and our communities. Jolene is married. She has twin daughters and a few pets. As the daughter of foreign missionaries and growing up in Latin countries, Jolene is fluent in Spanish and continues to volunteer for overseas mission trips. Her heart for missions also keeps her deeply connected to her local church. Dr. Jolene Erlocker will be our keynote speaker for the upcoming Prairie Pastors Conference, which will take place at the Sunset Hills Baptist Church in Omaha, Nebraska, on April 16th through the 18th of 2018. Welcome to the podcast, Jolene. I'm great, Greg. Thanks for having me. Well, it's so good to have you here. Um, For our Returning listeners and even our new listeners, the format of the show is pretty simple enough. We ask five simple questions to ministry leaders like yourself to learn more about who you are and where you see God moving in your community. So let's jump right in. Question number one, tell us who you are. Who are you? A little bit about yourself. (laughs) Yes. Well, like you mentioned, Greg, I grew up on the mission field, which I think is critical to just my perspective because I grew up having to think cross-culturally and understand uh, people coming from different perspectives uh, and with different insights into situations and interactions than I had. And I think that really prepared me for the work God has called me to today um, with intergenerational ministry, which I often see as a cross-cultural ministry to an extent. I think another piece of my story is that I was the oldest of six kids. So the youngest is 15 years younger than myself. Wow. So in my family, I have boomer parents who are still missionaries. Three of us are Xers, and my three youngest siblings are millennials. And I now have two Gen Zers in my wow. house. Yeah. <laughs> so I like to say that, you know, just studying generations and specifically generations in ministry context. Um, really became a part of my passion even as um, I just interacted with my family. I have a younger sister who is a missionary. I have a younger brother who is a pastor. And then, like I said, my parents are missionaries and pastors. So just seeing the ministry heart and passion within my own family and then seeing how they approach things differently based on their generational perspective has been very informative to me as well. Um, Like you mentioned, I've been in Christian higher education uh, for many years, about 15 years, and then working with young students and helping them engage as they're going out into ministry context has been, you know, kind of critical to who I am as well. So I'm a big sister, I'm a ministry daughter, um, and I'm a teacher at heart, so that's a little bit about me. That's great. Thank you. Question number two, how did you get here? Um, how did you get to your current ministry mm-hmm. setting? Um, what what made you want to become a professor? Yeah. So after I graduated from um, Bible college, uh, I went in. I was on staff at a church for about three years, and that was when I really started to realize that there was some generational disconnects happening in ministry context. At that point, I was working with young adults and children, 
So I was teaching kids, but then, you know, responding to an elder board and to um, a senior pastor who was much older than myself. And so I really got to see how those dynamics kind of played out at the local church setting. So then when I went back to teach in the university setting, um, that's when it really became alive to me because I was watching these young people you know, come into our setting. It was a Christian university. Churches were sending their best and their brightest young people. You know, the kids who had been involved in youth group or involved in music ministry, um, you know, the pastor's kids, those kids who had a heart and, and a passion to serve God, they were coming to the university and, you know, preparing to go back into ministry in some way, whether it be missions or the local church or education. Um, and they would work for four years, they would study hard, they would do internships, and what we often saw is at the end of four years, they were leaving and going back out into local church context or nonprofit agencies or missions agencies and becoming frustrated and sometimes even disillusioned. In many cases, they were leaving their career path altogether, and in in the worst case scenario, they're leaving their faith altogether. And I just, God gave me an incredible burden that these are young people who are coming to us passionate (laughs) about him. And somewhere in the process, they lost that passion, you know? And so that was what propelled me then as while I was still working uh, full-time at the university uh, and working on my doctorate to really do some uh, in-depth research on this. So I did a qualitative study interviewing young people in ministry all over the world, um, both in the U.S. as well as overseas, and that was what birthed my book, Millennials in Ministry. But it was really during that time of just listening to those voices, hearing what they were saying, that God opened my eyes to the fact that the world is changing. And um, the world that you and I, you know, many of us grew up in is not the world that young people are growing up in today. And so he's birthing some new things in this younger generation that we can be a part of. So after that, I married a military man (laughs) while I was working full-time at the university, which meant that the U.S. Army uh, got to dictate where I lived. So I was like, okay, Lord, what does this season of ministry look like? And he just began opening doors for me to do more speaking, more training, more consulting, which I had been doing some of while I was at the university, but really doing that more full-time while continuing to teach online, uh, you know, a couple of classes here and there. So so I kind of shifted focus. I now primarily travel, speak, consult, work with a variety of organizations just on engaging this next generation um, and just preparing them to be effective leaders and to serve the Lord in the days ahead. All right. Well, thank you. Yeah, as a son of a military person myself, we used to have a sign in our house that said, the uh, home is where the Air Force sends you. So, Yes. <laughs> yes, that's about how it works yeah, out. I lived in several places my growing up years. I can imagine. All right, question number three. What moves you? Do you have any hobbies or passions? What, what gets you going uh, to, to be engaged in ministry on a regular basis still these days? Mm-hmm. It really is that um, the younger generation, you know, I grew up in a, a home where my parents are very passionate about children's ministry and youth and got it drilled into my head early on that, um, you know, the majority of people who follow after God make a decision to do so as a child or as a teenager. And, you know, research is now showing that our worldview is pretty much cemented by the time we're 13 or 14. Um, and how we live that out really fleshes out by the time we're young adults. So 
I am just a firm believer in those early years and being able to be a part of investing. Um, so, you know, I have two five-year-olds now myself, so that's passion. So I'm actively involved in children's ministry and youth ministry pretty much wherever I go. But the other thing that really drives me is helping young adults in the world that, we have, that we're navigating today understand how to take that worldview or that faith that they developed as children or as youth and integrate it into their life as it is today. The fact of the matter is that I can't ask my mom how she managed technology with me as a young kid because she never had to. <laughs> or, you know, a, a teenager today can't ask me how I navigated social media as a teenager, as a young adult, because I never had to. So we're really having to build the bridge as we walk on it as teachers, as mentors, as pastors, and as young people today try to understand how does, how does our faith fit into this technologically advanced world? How do we um, retain an identity in Christ um, as, you know, as we live in a globalized, diverse society um, where there are many different points of view coming at us all the time? How do we appreciate diversity while retaining our deep personal conviction? Mm. Um, and then the other challenges of just the relativistic society that we live in, you know, where kind of everything goes, we have no absolute truth. What you believe to be true is true for you. <laughs> and this is being ingrained in young people at a very young age. So what gets me fired up is being able to really engage in the lives of young people as they're navigating these mm. things. I don't always have the answers, but I do know the Word of God, and I have the maturity and experience to come alongside them as they're navigating and to ask the questions together and to figure out what it looks like together. The other thing that I love is to have them teach me about the world. So, I mean, just last night I have a, a Bible study group and there's, you know, a couple millennials in the group and, you know, one of them's teaching me how to use a new social media app. <laughs> and then we turn around and we talk about scripture and how it applies to our life today. So I just really see how God is bringing about those key relationships um, among mature believers and pastors and leaders and those who are growing and developing in their faith and really helping us to support and encourage one another. So, I mean, that's yeah. my hobby, hanging out with my kids and, and modeling faith for them and, and helping them as they process it and then hanging out with the other young people that God brings into my life and just... Um, figuring out what it means to be a person of faith in our context today. Yeah, so you, you were talking about um, integrating their current worldviews that have been shaped as young children and lived out as young adults um, mm -hmm. with the Christian story and narrative. Um, yeah. So, so what's the difference between integration and changing their worldview to something else? I mean, is there a difference? Mm -hmm. um, is is, is mm -hmm. that where some of the tension lies? Is that we have all these generations in a church with different worldviews, and we're we're trying to get the mm -hmm. generation below us to change their worldview to to maybe the generation ahead of them, or something like that, or vice versa? Younger generations are trying to get older generations to change their worldview, but but you use the word mm -hmm. integration. Uh, what's the difference? between those changing uh -huh. worldviews and integrating worldviews? Yeah, that's a really great question, Greg. My next book that's coming out in August that I'm working on right now, um, I call it The Daniel Generation, Godly Leadership in an Ungodly mm -hmm. Culture. And it kind of gets to the heart of what you're talking about because what I believe the younger generations uh, really represent or reflect 
is the life of mm-hmm. Daniel. And if you study the life of Daniel, Daniel was born in Judah, right? right? Yeah. Where there was a pretty consistent worldview. Right, exactly. <laughs> You know, whether people followed it or not, they lit, you know, they, they all knew the sure. Torah, they all knew the rules, the, the temple was there, the priests were there. It, it was a very set worldview, and it's fairly stable in many ways. And suddenly, Daniel found himself uprooted and placed in Nebuchadnezzar's palace in Babylon, where there literally was not a temple to go to to offer the evening sacrifice. There were no priests to offer sacrifices. He could not practice his faith in the same way that he was able to in Judah. And what I believe, he had to then figure out, how do I remain faithful to the law of God in this new context? You know, he had to learn the language and literature of Babylon. He had to live in this very different kind of context and figure out, okay, what does my faith look like here? So I think often what we're doing is, you know, the older generations, we've lived in Judah, (laughs) We've lived in a stable, a fairly stable culture for the past, you know, 100 years or so in America with a lot of Christian ideals underlying our moral values as a nation. And that has all shifted. And so young people today are trying to navigate what, how do I live out my faith in Babylon? Well, my, my pastors, my leaders, my parents are teaching me how to live in Judah. I don't live in Judah. <laughs> so I think when we think about worldviews, one of the most valuable things that's coming out of this period of like cultural transition um, from what I call the modern era to the postmodern era, there's other terms you can use, but Judah to Babylon essentially, is for all of us to get down to what are the elements of our worldview that are based on tradition and culture. And this is true of the older generations as well as the younger generations. And what are the elements of my worldview that are based on scripture? And so when, when we can distinguish those, we can all agree on the ones that are based on Scripture, or at least that's a point for us to come sure, together yes. on, right? And if we can let go of some of the cultural and traditional ones and focus on the biblical ones and then think about how do I take those biblical principles and integrate them into the life wherever God's placed me, whether that's still in Judah or in exile or in Nebuchadnezzar's palace. You know, in a university campus is going to look much different than a small town um, in a local church, yeah. right? So really I think the job of those of us who are the leaders and the teachers and the mentors is to help these Daniels or these young people think about, okay, this is a biblical principle that cannot be compromised. Do not eat the food from the king's table, right? <laughs> or whatever it is, you must pray, you know, you must pray to God and God alone. So these are things that we cannot compromise on, the things that are based on scripture. But then you are going to have to learn the language and literature of Babylon if you're going to advise the king. Sure or if we're going to be effective. So how do we then, how do we engage these things but have the disciplines and the practices that Daniel did? So I think that's, you know, that's my heart is trying to help us equip this next generation. And it does require letting go of some of the things that are cultural and traditional and making sure that we're really focusing on what's biblical. Does that make sense? Sounds great. Thank you. So let's ask number four then. Um, what's happening in your ministry context? Um, I didn't get to tell people in the beginning, but you're the founder of Leading Tomorrow, Strategies for a New Generation. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you alluded to, lots of consulting work and speaking and, and writing a new book. Um, mm-hmm. so, so what's going mm-hmm. on in those places? Sure. 
Um, like I, I said earlier, like God just opens a variety of doors for me. I just got back from Cambodia and working with leaders and missions wow. over there. Um, and I, you know, we'll be working with women, uh, ministries, with churches, you know, um, military. I mean, I work with a variety of contexts, but what's so encouraging to me is, you know, often people can get discouraged because we see the younger generation maybe not engaging uh, to the same extent in church and in faith, biblical literacy is at a, you know, illiteracy is at an all-time high. So we can get discouraged with some of these statistics we see. But what I'm finding in every context that I go into, whether it's on the mission field, it's in a local church, it's at, you know, university settings, or even in the K-12 education system, is that there are young people who are passionate to do what is what God wants them to do. You know, God is stirring, and it might not be as many as it was in the past. It's a remnant <laughs> at times, but they are. there is this group everywhere I go. There's these young people who are passionate and excited to serve God and to do what he's calling them to do. So that's really exciting to me. And in the places where, you know, I see the, the leaders and teachers really grasping of what God's doing in this next generation and coming around and supporting them and encouraging them, we are seeing them growing and thriving. So I just feel so blessed that I get to go into these different contexts and just see how God's working um, in the next generation to continue the amazing work that he's done, you know, over the past generations. Right, very good. So you use the word remnant, um, even holy remnant. is something that I've, I've heard used on a regular basis. I, I've used it myself to describe um, people who are staying uh, faithful to their um, their walk with Christ and, and, and living in Babylon. Uh, but that causes a lot of pain, and, and, and that even causes some mm-hmm. fear um, because then mm-hmm. those who are aware or, or acknowledging, maybe they're in a wilderness context or maybe they feel like they're in Babylon, um, it, it begins to fear for their children or, or the generations below mm-hmm. them. Um, mm-hmm. as, as you're meeting with these new leaders and training people what's what's the comforting word that that you give for those Mm -hmm. um, experiencing Mm -hmm. those emotions that are very genuine and very real yeah yep yeah and as a mom of you know two preschoolers i definitely feel those emotions myself at times um because it's like the world that they're going to live in is one very different from the one that i've gotten to live in and um I, i think there's two things one is Often, really, there's there's very little in Scripture about, um, you know, as believers, our comfort and happiness being God's number one priority. <laughs> and yet, I think, like, our American culture has kind of conditioned us mm-hmm. to that, you know, to expect that or desire that. And I think part of our responsibility as, as the parents, the teachers, the leaders, is to remind our kids that God is a God of mm-hmm. hope and of the eternal and while we may face suffering and persecution and trial and tribulation in this world, because Jesus says we will, we will face those things, but Jesus came that our joy might be full. And so helping young people understand and put their perspective, set their minds and hearts on things above and understand this is a grand adventure that God has invited us to be a part of, his kingdom advancing, not just here in this world, but for eternity. And when you look at the life of Daniel, Daniel survived multiple kings and kingdoms. (laughs) I mean, Babylon fell, but the very king and nation that invaded his home, Judah, um, and destroyed his home fell and he survived you know 
So Nebuchadnezzar fell, died, Babylon fell, and God continued to bless Daniel. So as to, to give the young people around us the hope that when you are faithful to God, God's hand will be upon you. It doesn't mean that God's always going to rescue us from a difficulty, but he will sustain us in it. And nations and kings can fall and rise, but your king, our king, the king of kings, <laughs> is over them all. And when we serve the king of kings, he will meet us in the lion's den, and he will meet us in the fiery furnace. So we need not fear those things. You know, and I think for this next generation, I just see God is going to stir up a passion. Sometimes in the church today, we don't see the excitement and passion that we maybe have seen in the past. But when you experience God, when you're in the fiery furnace, whatever that looks like in your life, and a fourth man shows up, you're going to be excited and passionate. Yeah, <laughs> so as they, as they encounter difficulties and trials and tribulation and God meets them there, I believe he's just going to ignite a faith that is so strong and passionate in their lives that it's going to carry them through whatever difficulties they're going to face in the days ahead. And as those of us who are speaking into them and encouraging them, I think we really need to make sure we're speaking out of hope and out of the eternal and, and planting that in their lives. Thank you for that. All right, so let's do our final question. Um, what's next? So what's next for you personally, maybe professionally? Mm -hmm. We've talked about a book. Uh, we know that you're coming to the Prairie Pastors mm -hmm. Conference. So so what's yep. the next thing for, for Dr. Erlacher? Yes. Well, like you said, the next book is really the thing that, you know, um, yeah. I'm trying to get that cranked out here. <laughs> so I'm really, really excited. This has been a word that's just been on my heart for a number of years now. So to see it finally coming to fruition is really exciting. The book is geared, where's my, my first book, Millennials in Ministry, is really geared towards the pastors and the leaders, teachers of millennials, so more Gen Z boomers. This next book is geared to millennials and Generation mm -hmm. Z um, because I'm really wanting to take the, the lessons from Daniel, the things that sustain Daniel, and put those into um, a context for young leaders to be able to adapt into their life and say, hey, Daniel lived in Babylon. I can navigate whatever, you know, comes my way. And these are the, these are the skills, the promises, the practices that Daniel held to and I can hold to them as well. It also will present some, you know, perspectives for leaders and pastors on what the next generation is facing and navigating as young leaders. So I'm really excited about that. Another project that I'm working on um, is really social media and ministry contact. So that I'm hoping that will be my next book, hopefully next winter, or next summer. Just I think social media um, is becoming such a powerful communication tool. And really we're finding it is informing the ad identity development of younger generations so much. So how do we navigate social media and technology in ministry context? and help young leaders navigate it well. So it becomes, so it's a tool that benefits their ministry and not distracts from it. So that's the next project that's kind of um, down the road uh, that I'm really passionate about, is that just that integration of technology into our lives. Right, that's great. Well, it's been great talking with Dr. Jolene Erlocker. If our listeners had questions about, how you, uh, about your ministry or how they could reach you, uh, what would be a good way to get in touch with you? Yep. If you go to my website, um, it's just leadingtomorrow.org. So one word, leadingtomorrow.org. Uh, you can contact me via the website um, or I'm on social media, um, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter um, at Leading Tomorrow or Jolene Erlacher. And you can contact me that way as well. Right, very good. Thank you for your time today. I appreciate it. Yes. Thank you, Greg. Have right. a great one.
Thank you for listening to Mission in 5, the podcast. Keep tuning in as we introduce you to the many ministry leaders, pastors, and church leaders impacting the churches of Nebraska and the larger American Baptist community. Check out the show notes for links to Jolene Erlocker's book, Millennials in Ministry, her consulting ministry, Leading Tomorrow, and her social media pages. While there, subscribe to the podcast at Podbean, iTunes, and Google Play. Be sure to rate and review us so we know how you are enjoying the podcast. Send us a few ideas on who you'd like us to interview for future episodes. And as always, feel free to support us through our PayPal link at our ABC Nebraska website. It's just simply www.abcnebraska.com. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day.